Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, and so glad to be with you today. We appreciate very much you taking the time to listen to the show. Hope we can uh, enlighten you or give you something to think about this week about spiritual matters. That's what We Are Just Christians is about. It, we, it's about a, all the spiritual matters you can think of from how it relates to politics, to culture, to the Bible, to your life, to difficulties you're having, whatever is on your mind. And this is a live call-in show, so I'm going to be giving you the numbers in just a moment, how you can reach us here on We Are Just Christians, and uh, hope you'll call in. I'll, since we do have new listeners, hopefully some of the time, I want to give you the ground rules as we begin this morning. If you call in, we're not, go- we're not going to you know, take your call so we can bait you or embarrass you or anything like that. You can call in whether you agree or disagree, or you can change the subject. That's up to you, whatever is on your mind. But we're not here to embarrass anybody. We're here to have a discussion about important matters. Now, we may not agree with each other in the end, and that's fine, because in one way or the other, we're going to give you the last word in this discussion. We're going to let you have the last word. We're going to let you say what you want to say. So if you can, call in and stay on the line for a few minutes. We'll discuss it. If you can't stay on the line, let us know, and we'll try to answer your question uh, anyway, and sometimes we have that happen. We appreciate all of our callers, all those who get in touch with us anyway. And so the numbers to reach us here on We Are Just Christians is the regular call-in number, first of all, for WPSL, which is 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is how you get a hold of us here. And uh, Ray there at the station will patch you through to us. We're in our church building in a little room on the side uh, you know, with our Skype machine all set up here. So we'd be glad to talk to you. Now, unfortunately, sometimes, I will say this, we have a little bit of a problem because there's a delay not only built in at the station, but sometimes probably over Skype. And so if we talk over you or interrupt you, we're not trying to do that. We're, we're, we're simply trying to anticipate what delay is there. So be patient with us. We'll be patient with you. 772-340-1590 is how you reach us. If we also have text numbers, if you want to get a hold of us this morning during the show, we'd be glad to receive your text. Both of us have a text number. My text number, Mike's, is 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120. And you can text me anytime during the week, and we do get texts during the week. Gary's number is very similar, 772-260-6220. 260-6220. So you can text us now or any time during the week a question or comment comes to your mind. We don't mind uh, receiving, uh, you know, criticism or whatever it may be. I started to say constructive criticism. I don't even care if it's destructive, really, because sometimes, <laughs> sometimes those who don't like you or your quote-unquote enemies can be the most insightful about really what's there. Your friends will overlook your faults, but those who don't like you can see them real clearly and aren't oftentimes afraid to tell you but um, that's fine and, and we would love to have a call from people who are not believers or don't believe the bible uh, don't believe in religion or had bad experiences in religion we'd love to hear from you and i can assure you we're not going to uh, embarrass you in any way you feel free to say what's on your mind we'll we'll probably have a response to that some way but the key to our show hopefully you've seen this or heard this if you've listened is we're going to try to go to the scriptures and give you some kind of a, of a answer or at least some verses for you to look at, some concepts for you to think about in response to your question, whatever it may be. 
and hopefully then you'll look those those passages up and read them for yourself. We believe the Bible was written to the common person, not to clergy, quote-unquote clergy, but to common people in the common language of the day, so it could be understood, and God intends for you to understand it. Jesus several times would ask a question, would say to the people asking him, have you not read such and such? He inspected them to have, you know, read and understood the word, and he, wanted, he pointed them back to what the scripture said in answer to their question. We'd probably do the same thing here. 772-340-1590. Yes, Gary, go ahead. Well, no, it, and, and he repeats that for everyone in John chapter 12, verse 48, one that I'm, I'm going to keep quoting because it's so very important. This, is, this, is, this was Jesus' attitude. He said, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. When we stand before God in judgment, the words that Jesus spoke will be the standard by which we will be judged. Mm -hmm. So that makes it a pretty important thing to me. To be able to read it. And he's assuming that you're going to be able to read and understand the words yeah. he's saying, uh, written in the scriptures. Well, that, that idea, that, that word receive, rece does not receive my words, uh, it's translated in one place to get a hold of. You use yeah. that that word a lot when, when people are wanting to talk to us get a or, hold discuss, of yeah. or discuss what we say. That's uh, one of the same words. Right. Well, you know, Gary, we, um, we did get, uh, and I'll give you some other contact information a little bit later in the show for if you want to get a hold of us, if you'll hang on for a few more minutes. Let's jump into a couple things here, though, by the way. We, we've got a, uh, text messages from Sherry up in Georgia this week. She sent three questions in. We, uh, we're not going to be able to get to all three of those, I don't think, today, but we'll start on them anyway. And we're going to start, let me just read you the text. She said, um, we would like to hear a show about recognizing the church or finding the church very needed in this world. And so we're, going to, we're not probably going to do much about that one today, but I do want to, we mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. We're going to try to do a show on how would I go about finding the churches in the Bible today? Now, that's really what we're trying to do here at Savona Boulevard. We call ourselves Just Christians. That's the name of this show. That's the name of our website, wearejustchristians.com, because we're just trying to be that church from the first century. And that's why I tell people, if you come here and visit with us, it's not going to look exactly like you're expecting sometimes. It may not sound like that because we don't have a band to entertain you uh, or anything like that. We all sing. And so... Uh, it may be a little bit different than what you're expecting here, but we're trying to follow the pattern of the New Testament, and, and that's part of it. So we'll give you some ways to find that church in a future show. But then the second question is a little bit more detailed. She says, in Luke 3.3 3 and Mark 1.4, John the Baptizer, commonly known as John the Baptist, he wasn't a Baptist like we think of a Baptist today, you know, there's not Luke the Methodist and John the Baptist in the Bible. The Baptist means someone who baptizes. And so this was John the Baptizer preaches baptism for the remission of sins prior to the death of Christ. How do you think this can be since Christ had not yet made that physical sacrifice? Do you believe those who were baptized with the baptism of John had to be baptized again after the death of Christ? So that's like another question, a sub-question there. So let's take a look at that one first. Oh, well, and then she has a third question. Is it ever acceptable for a woman to baptize someone? 
Don't know if we'll get there this week, but we'll, we might. We might. It's possible. We'll come to that question about baptism. So well, here's the here's one, the one other thing question. I'd like to say is, right. is that uh, that reference to Luke three three and Mark one four is it's also in Matthew chapter three and verse eleven. Paul okay. makes yes. that claim mm-hmm. also. So there, there are actually three references that I'm aware of, and there may be more. Uh, that he indeed baptized you with water unto repentance is what what he says in uh, in Matthew three. Right. It says about John the Baptist that uh, in Luke three three he went into all the regions around the Jordan preaching the ba- a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins as is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, the rough paths very way smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So it says about John's work here, well, his basic message was uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you read about Jesus' first ministry and service, that's what he was saying too. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So here's John the Baptist. From what we know, piecing all together some other scriptures without going into great detail, John was probably a cousin of Jesus in some way, and he was about six months older than Jesus. But he had gone into the wilderness to be, it, when he went into to his work, and he was eating wild locusts and, and honey in the wilderness, not in the cities like Jesus was. But it says he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, I guess the question comes up, and you find the same ba- basic reading in Mark 4 and you mentioned in Matthew 3. Three. Uh, but also, let's, let's point out one thing. The, the, the two baptisms were alike in the, recent, in the respect that they were baptisms of repentance. Well, they, they both get, require repentance for the baptism is in the effect. Acts right. 2, you know, verse 38, when... Uh, when Peter preached to them in uh, Acts 2, uh, it says in 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So it was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in that respect. Right. Now, which brings up the issues. I think what, what Sherry here is probably getting at is that were, was there any forgiveness of sins or remission of, of sins before the blood of Christ had been shed? And, uh, and then secondly, so how is John preaching about remission of sins before this time? All right. I believe, I'm one of these crazy people that believe, when I read what the Old Testament says about it, that yes, there was forgiveness of sins in the Old Testament. Was there the final, complete forgiveness of sins apart from Christ in the Old Testament? And the answer is no. All of the Old Testament sacrifices looked forward to Christ. They were, they were precursors to his in that they were a type and a shadow of his. That's why there was the shedding of blood in those sacrifices. And so when you look at, uh, when you look at uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3, for example, uh, uh, let me get over there. I'm still using this new Bible program, Gary, which is a little bit more complicated. But, you know. Uh, and it's talking about these old sacrifices. It, it says about them in chapter 10, verse 1, book of Hebrews, for the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, 
and not the very image of the things, can never with the same sacrifices, which they offer continually year after year, make those who approach perfect. So since the old law was set up that they offered these sacrifices on the Day of Atonement other times, continually, every year they were made, or even more than that, when they sinned, they would bring a sin sacrifice. That was a shadow of what was coming. The object itself, light shining back, creates a shadow on the ground. You can tell you can tell some things about the object from looking at the shadow. You can't tell the detail and the, and the reality of it from the shadow. But so he says those sacrifices, since they are recurrent sacrifices, can never make the, the one who approaches them continual, uh, perfect. For then they would not have to cease to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder or remembrance of sins every year. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sins. So there's the ultimate statement of the ultimate truth, that the blood of an animal cannot take away sins in the truest, final sense of the word. But he says in the Old Testament, when they offered up those sacrifices, the Old Testament promised them forgiveness. When they were alive and they were reading Moses' law, offering the sacrifices, there was a promise of remission of sins and forgiveness in those sacrifices, even though the final sacrifice had not yet been made, historically, as it were. It had already been made in the mind of God with Christ coming on the cross. So they were a type and a shadow. And I believe when you followed the type and the shadow, which was all that was available to them before Christ, you could have remission of sins, looking forward to the true sacrifice that was coming. But he says since there's this repeated offering of this sacrifice, there is a reminder, a remembrance of the sins every year. When I was a kid, Gary, they would say, well, he rolled the forward sins forward for a year. I don't really find that language in the Bible. I heard that said from the pulpit many times. In the Old Testament, the these sacrifices just push the sins forward for a year. Perhaps that's a way to look at it. But I think he's taking away the sins based on the sacrifice of Christ and most importantly on the faith of the one who's come. When you, by faith, offered up the sacrifices under the Old Testament system, you were showing faith in God when you did that in his word. And God rewarded that faith because that's how we're all justified, by faith in, in what God says. Well, that's, that's one thing we okay. probably ought to point out, that the ultimate system that God worked with man upon is a system of faith and obedience. It has always been that. Even under the old law, it was that way. It was a system of essentially grace brought forth by faith and obedience. And it didn't change. It was that way for the Gentiles as well as the Jews, except that the Jews had specific things they were supposed to do. They had specific commands that they were given. There were specific things that they were supposed to keep. Now, Paul... But blood sacrifice for remission of sins goes all the way back to the time of... uh, of, At the beginning. At the beginning. Cain and Abel. Right, and it's not recorded for us exactly what those commands were from the beginning, but we... We observe the result of those commands throughout the Old Testament as it comes forward to the law of Moses. And Paul actually says in Romans 2 of the Gentiles that didn't have that law, he says, For as many have sinned without law will also perish without law, and many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. 
For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles do, who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having a law, are a law unto themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and being between them, themselves, and their thoughts, accusing or else excusing them, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. I think Paul is saying exactly what you're saying. This, this, this eventually all of these sins come through. Well, hopefully I'm saying what Paul yeah. is saying, but I, I right, understand right. what you mean. Yeah. Paul's yeah. just saying it in a little bit different right. way. And basically he's saying the Gentiles who did not have the law of Moses were expected to keep what they knew and understood as basically uh, as the precepts of the law. And we know that there are certain precepts of the law that were brought forth by Jesus into the end of the New Testament. Right. But but they were there to be kept because they're Christ's law, right. not because they're in the Old Testament. Right. But but the point of it here is, yes, there was remission of sins when they obeyed God in the Old Testament. Now, John came along, though. John's ministry was different. He was prophesied as a different kind of prophet that would be basically Elijah again, and he would then set the thing straight, make a path straight for the Messiah to come. And so when John began preaching repentance and baptism, this was something different than what the prophets had taught. Now, I understand that between between the two testaments and the 400 years there, that among the Jews, the custom had arisen to baptize proselytes coming out of the Gentile nations to Judaism. I don't have any record of that in the law of Moses. So that's something that they did as a cleansing of them being a Gentile when they became a follower of Moses. And maybe John is building on that. We don't have any indication of that at all. That may be what people say. That may be true, all that. But I'm only going to focus on what the Bible says about it. John comes preaching this baptism, which was something startling to the people at that time. And he was baptizing people not just to be his disciples, even though he was the only one there at the time. But he kept pointing them to the Lamb of God who was coming. He kept saying, the one who's coming after me is the one who you should follow. I'm not even worthy to unlatch his sandals. He's so great. And so he kept pointing people to this one coming after. And in preaching a baptism for the remission of sins by through repentance, John was saying, change your hearts and minds, get ready for the Messiah to come, and let and follow him. Now then, um, when they did that, when they obeyed John, there was a God's blessing on that. There was forgiveness and remission of that. And that's why people came out to John to be baptized. He confronted those in in book of Luke who came out to him. Let me go back there. I just moved away from that. But uh, if you go back to Luke chapter 3, that's why you see him confronting these people who come out there. Uh, Some of the multitude, scribes and Pharisees, came out. And he said to them in verse uh, verse 7 of of Luke 3, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down. He's speaking individually to them, not as a nation, but of individuals, that they need to repent. 
and he tells them to, if you have two tunics, let him who has two give to him who has none, and who has food do likewise. And then the publicans came, tax collectors. He said, teacher, what shall we do? He said, collect more than, no more than what's appointed to you. Likewise, the soldiers came, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, but be content with your wages. And so he's telling these people actual things they can do in their life that illustrate that they've really changed their mind about how they're living, that they want to follow God. And he's, in doing so, he's preparing them for Christ to come. And uh, he's, he's baptizing them. Now, was did the, the other question, so I don't believe the physical sacrifice had to be offered for there to be remission of sins in that time because they were showing faith in John's words about a Messiah when they were baptized. So in that limited sense, at that time, given those circumstances, I'm, on, I'm saying that to emphasize those, things. at that time, under those circumstances, that's all they could do. And so when they were baptized, God forgave them. That was, it was under remission of sins. Well, it's interesting. Now, but it wouldn't have, if Christ hadn't come or hadn't had faith, none of that would have mattered at all. Well, again, it's, it's like he says in Luke 16, 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one, one tittle of the law to fail. Basically, Jesus, I think, is saying the same thing here. Again, basically, John was preaching. Uh, he's a precursor. He's not, just an, he's not an independent contractor. Right. He's a precursor of this. And, and Jesus actually says in Luke 16, 16, the law and the prophets were until John. He says, since that time, the kingdom of God is being preached. That was his kingdom. Right. Now, there's another passage that probably bears on this somewhat, Gary, and it's it's found in, well, first in, in Acts 18, and then a little bit later, it kind of expands on this in Acts 19. When you go over there, you find this man well, before you go okay, there. Let's, right. let's 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 take a little side trip because I want to go back to this the, whole thing's a side trip. Oh yeah. yeah, go ahead. I want to go back to Matthew twenty-eight and uh, verse eighteen and nineteen, and Jesus says, and this is the command. Remember, Jesus says, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore." Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, how would we read that today? We would read that, I think, by the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is what he's saying. Right. He said that authority is what the baptism should be done under, right. as opposed to John's authority. So someone's going to come along today and say, "Well, I'm going to be baptized so I can become a disciple of John the Baptist." I'm no. going to have to warn them very carefully. That isn't good enough anymore. Okay. And Before Christ come, and, that might have been a great thing, but that's right. not good enough anymore because all authority has been given to Christ, not John the Baptist anymore. Okay. So a certain amount of knowledge and authority has to be has to be brought to bear on that baptism. Yes, and but that's right. You have to know what you're doing when you're baptized. That's why we don't baptize babies here. Now but, I'm re now I'm ready to go to the Acts. Okay. okay. So when you come to the book of Acts, it says in uh, Acts um, 
18.24, Acts 18.24. Now a certain Jew, not a Gentile, but a Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. And this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he being fervent in spirit, spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he only knew the baptism of John. So here's a fellow that had only heard of John's preaching for people to repent and be baptized, as it were. And this fellow only heard this. And then so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Now, when Acrylla and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So they took him aside. These other these Christians did and said, look, you, you don't realize that everything's changed. The, the, the Messiah is now here. here there, there, here's who he is. There's more to there's it. More than to what, it than what you're saying. What you're saying is true. But there's more to this story that you need to know about Apollos. So just being baptized and knowing the baptism of John was not enough once Christ came and he gave the command to repent and be baptized. And then he told his apostles in Acts 2 to go out and preach to people to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, Peter said in Acts 2.38. Right. So this is the, this is the new way. And then it, it's, it says he uh, changed his mind about this. I'll paraphrase the next few verses. Now then, Paul, Let's it happened. Go to, oh, go ahead. Well, go to Acts 19. Yeah, that's where I'm headed right now. Uh, that, that, that now Apollos was at now, Corinth. Right. And Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, probably he's in a synagogue or somewhere around there. And he says, uh, he finds these people. And they say, yeah, we're disciples of, of, of the Messiah, or whatever they may have said, followers. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you when you believed? And they said to them, we have not so much as heard as whether there is a Holy Spirit. We don't know what we don't really know what you're talking about. And so he said to them, into what then when you're baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Now, this tells me a couple things. First of all, John's baptism is not the same as Christ's baptism. And it's not by the apparently not by the same authority or they would have known these. Right. They, They hadn't gone far enough to know that. And the results of that baptism were different. And so they said, we only know John's baptism. And they said, uh, so we don't know all about this. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Now, you can't can't separate these two things here in verse 4 in Paul's teaching. Baptism and repentance are linked together. Those who say today that you should just repent of your sins and say a prayer to Jesus and be saved, are not understanding salvation properly. Paul is saying that salvation and baptism, repentance and baptism go together. Okay, Repentance, baptism, Bapt- forgiveness, sins go together. All go together, right. And so they said John preached about repentance and being baptized so that they should believe and told the people, you should believe on him who's coming after me. That's Christ. Well, they're saying to these disciples here, well, now the one, now he's come, he's here. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus or by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And that, and I would point back to Matthew 28, verse 19 again, where Jesus says, there, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of or by the authority of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So their knowledge should have been at least of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and whose authority this was being done under. Right. Now, now, the other element, I don't want to get too sidetracked into this exactly, but maybe some people think it's 
right in the middle of this. I think it's not the main, not the issue we're talking about today. But they were Paul had met these disciples, and he was trying to go from different places where there were uh, small groups of disciples, and he was uh, passing on to them spiritual gifts or encouraging them in this because they didn't have the written word all at their disposal. They only had the Old Testament this time. And so he asked these people, have you got these gifts? And they said, we don't even know you get them. And so he, he, he's saying, You're, I need to baptize you into Christ. And then it says that they receive the gifts in other places by the laying on of the apostles' hands. So they get the gifts because he laid his hands on them. But he wasn't going to lay his hands on someone that hadn't been baptized into Christ. And so that's part of this, part of this thing, uh, a whole process here of them becoming disciples. So this shows you, in a general answer to Sherry's question, which says, do you believe those who were baptized with the baptism of John had to be baptized again after the death of Christ? I think I can say apparently so, yes, because here's a case of that. Right. These disciples have been baptized with John's baptism. When Paul came along and said, is that all you got? Nope, but we're, it's not good enough. Here's be baptized in Christ. Now, we don't have records of all the apostles being baptized again with the baptism of Christ. We don't have specific records of all these other disciples being baptized. Now, we do know that uh, many believers that, well, let's put it this way. If people who were baptized with the baptism of John were not baptized again, then John's work was not very effective because that's what he was telling people to do. It says right here that John was telling people to be baptized and to repent, and then when he comes, follow the Messiah. Well, what did the Messiah say they should do? Repent and be baptized right. for the mission of their sins. So if they were going to truly, if John's work was going to point them to Christ and get them ready for Christ to come, then they should have been baptized again, and they would have been baptized again. Now there's another, you were going to say something, Gary. Well, I, well it, 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 what I'm trying to say is whether or not the baptism has to come in a different form in terms of authority, I believe has to do with the knowledge of the one being baptized. Yes. It, it, it has to do with whether or not you recognize what authority you, as a person being baptized, are repenting or committing to a new life being renewed, if you will. It and, has to do with your knowledge of what should be happening. Yes, and that's the big disconnect in modern churches or in churches, in the Catholic Church and in many Protestant denominations. They disconnect baptism from repentance. Make a ritual out of it's it. It's a ritual done to babies and so forth, or it's a ritual done after you repent, and because you're already saved, now then sometime around Easter you can be baptized. This is not what the Bible teaches at all about baptism. It's linked to the repent, just like it was for John, repent and be baptized. Right. And I think he's almost saying, if you really repent, you'll be baptized. If you're not willing to be baptized, then you haven't really repented. You haven't turned. You're going to make a new life here. It's a new thing you're going to do. Now, well, the, basically, the, the baptism is, uh, I think it's described in the Colossian letter. He says, basically, it's a putting off of sins. It, basically, it's a renewing of, of you. It's making a new person out of you. You're coming up out of the water a different person than what went, went into right. the water. That's the nature of it. That's Paul's point in Romans chapter 6, six. being buried and rising up to live a new life. Right. And that's, there, that's Romans chapter 6, 3 through 11, if you right, want to Romans, read that. And that's a very important passage. People that say that Paul just taught, didn't teach about baptism and only taught salvation by faith alone. They haven't read Romans 6 very carefully. 
because uh, he links baptism with the whole pro- whole point of salvation and repentance. repentance and, and that and point again is made again in Colossians 2, 11, 15. Right. It's the work of God there. Yes. He says God's well, see, that's, work, that's not man's things, work. It's God's one work. Things, one of the things we point out, the things that happen at baptism are between the one who is baptized and God. It doesn't have much to do at all well, with the, doing who's doing it. And that's the other question we might come to. Well, I want to point out one other thing uh, that the last, the first question about how do you know what church or how do you recognize the church? The first question that I would ask is a church, and I'll go at, go to them and say, "What must I do to be saved?" The answer to that question is what we need to treat in that in that basic circumstance of how do you recognize the church. What do they tell you you must do to be saved? Is it in the scripture or not? And baptism is a central part of that. Right. That's right. It's not a work of man. It's something God God has commanded, ordained, and he's in charge of it. Now, there's another interesting verse here, and I don't know, I have to confess, I don't know entirely what to make of this because there's not much else said about it in the New Testament. It's in, it's in John 4, sort of early in Jesus' ministry, although John is not necessarily chronological it appears this is fairly early in his ministry now it says in chapter four we usually focus on beginning of verse five about the samaritan woman but read the first four verses john four therefore the lord knew that the pharisees had had heard that jesus excuse me therefore when the lord knew that the pharisees heard that jesus made and baptized more disciples than john though jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples he left judea and departed again to galilee but he needed to go through Samaria. So the Lord's hearing that the Pharisees are saying that Jesus is making more disciples and baptizing. And the Pharisees, he baptized more disciples than John was. Well, we don't have, we don't have much reference to this where it, when Jesus is speaking to these crowds, he's baptizing people. But it says right here, apparently that's what was going on. And it says, interesting enough, I ask people, true, if everybody thinks everything in the Bible is just a yes or no, true or false question, I ask them this question, Gary. Did Jesus baptize anyone? Well, what's the answer? Is it yes or no? Well, here it says he was baptizing disciples, but he himself did not baptize. So, yes and no. Yes and no in this case. He wasn't personally dipping them under the water. But he was baptizing them, and he was commanding them to be baptized in his name, and they were doing that. And the Pharisees linked it to Jesus, not to the ones doing the dipping. They linked it to Jesus. So this did Jesus baptize people before Acts 2.38? Apparently he did. What was it for? Well, it would be for the same reason that John baptized, for forgiveness under repentance and remission of sins. Uh, and later on, he's going to command that his disciples make this a full thing, that go make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in my name. So this may be a seed that Jesus was planting, just like he spoke about the church a few times before the church was ever established in Acts chapter 2. He spoke about the church himself a few times, kind of like a precursor where he's just getting a running start at what was going to happen a little bit later. But I think that's an interesting scripture here. So there's different kinds of baptism going on. Now, um, well, it, it also points out something to me, at least I took it this way, that that the actual person who baptizes someone or helps them into the water and out has 
very little importance as far as what actually goes on. Right, I think that's right. Now, the other thing to remember when is early on in Jesus' ministry, he came out to the Jordan and found John the Baptist and asked John to baptize him. And John, and John says, I can't do that because you're greater than me. I, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, well, I'm going to do it to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, you have a com- John, he's saying to him, John, you have a command from God to preach this repentance and baptism. God gave you that commandment that all who would repent, all who would serve God need to be baptized. And so I'm going to submit to that because even though I don't have sin, so the people understand that God gave you that command, not yourself. And that's what he means to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was going to do whatever God said. So people today who resist being baptized are resisting what God said. Jesus wouldn't do that even. He's, he didn't even need to be baptized, but he said, God said it, and I'm going to do it. And that's why he did it. Now, now we have John texted in and said, uh, you know, Jesus could only walk on water, not get into it. So maybe that's why Jesus did the baptize. When he walked out on the water, he, fl- he stood on the top of it and couldn't baptize anybody. I don't know about that, John, but hadn't thought about that before. But uh, the Bible pictures those who are being baptized, both of them going down into the water in Acts chapter 8 well, when and he, baptizing them. I always looked at that. When he, was, when he said to fulfill all righteousness, he was actually saying something like, to fulfill all of God's commands of us. Yes, that's what righteousness is, do, being right. right with God, doing what God says. That's being and, right and, with God. And that command is very clear in Matthew 28 that we read. Uh, so, you know, it, it's very clear that uh, I, I keep going back to Acts, uh, 1 Peter 3.21. It's the point at which your sins are forgiven. And basically, he says in in First Peter three and verse twenty one. Uh, let's go back to verse twenty. Who formerly were disobedient when one uh, when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few that is eight souls were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us baptism, right? Apparently. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of good conscience towards God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, so it's it's linked to Jesus, His resurrection, and obeying the command. That's so people say, "Oh, well, I don't believe in water baptism. Water can't save you." And that's exactly what Peter says is true. Yes, it's not about getting your f- flesh clean of dirt. It's about a spiritual inward cleansing. It's about obedience but, to command that make your conscience good. But the outward act is when God does the cleansing, as it were, in this case. And that's now, God. now the Jews baptized. For a couple different reasons, that word "baptized" meaning dipped. They they immerse or dipped uh, in different for like for proselytes. In John's baptism, it was a dipping or an immersion, as it were. That's what the word "baptized" means: is to immerse. It was for for remission of unto repentance for remission of sins. In other words, the remission of sins was coming in the repentance, but the repentance didn't work unless you were baptized. So the forgiveness of sins came through repentance, well, it's but what, the repentance wasn't complete until you were baptized. That's a, that, and those who refused the baptism couldn't really say that they had repented and therefore could not receive remission. Well, it's, it, it goes back to the same thing. I go back to James 2. He says, what? Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith, show you my faith by my works. Right. God wants to see your faith. You have to do it. That's one of the things he sees. And people resist for all different kind of reasons. 
and um, most of it being pride, not all of it, but some of it being pride. Well, and it is kind of a humiliating process, when, you know. Hey, you come out all, all drenched. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and it's it's but it's it it was it would be very humbling for one of these Pharisees in his fancy robes and phylacteries and headdresses to go out there to the Jordan River, wade in that wade in into the river and let John up. A, a big bearded man who looked like a wild man, probably these people, and let that guy dunk him under the water. That would be a very humiliating kind of experience for one of these Pharisees. Yeah, and that's but, why he called him a brood of vipers. But basically what it takes is it, you've got to admit that I have sin and they need to be right. forgiven. Repentance. And this is what God takes to do it. Right. And that's what people are not willing to do. Um, they want God to give them some kind of special vision in the night. Now, I'm not sure that we really answered the question of whether or not, you know, I don't think the question really applies today in the sense that nobody is baptizing, I don't think, in the name of John anymore. No, but I think it's a question about what was really going on here. Yeah. Now, there's this period of time. Gary and I, you've dis- we not, we've discussed this uh, about many different issues. I think it's a mistake to overthink, overemphasize that period of time around the life of Christ and early in the church, especially when there was this overlap between the two dispensations, as it were, when the yes. Jewish dispensation was fading away after Christ was on, put on the cross. Really, it began to. John said the axe is laid at the root of the trees. What well, tree? What? What's the tree there? The tree is Judaism. Right. He was and baptizing the Jews. The John wasn't the, baptizing the Gentiles. The prophets were until John. Until John. So he put the he put the axe at the root of the tree and he began to cut it down. That process didn't happen instantly. It took years for that process to be complete. And probably the final thing that happened was the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Yes. That doesn't mean that Christ's law didn't come into effect till AD 70. It meant that there was a historical process where one was disappearing, and that's what indicates in the book of Hebrews, is fading and, away, and the other, and the other was, was growing stronger. Yes. And so you have this overlap. So for us to, for us to try to make, uh, as it were, statutes or understand what the church today should be doing based on this period of time right there between the two and a few anomalous cases like this would be a mistake. We need to go on the clear teachings of the New Testament in the Gospels and in the book of Acts by how the church was established and how to be saved. So, yes, John's baptism was for remission of sins through the process of repentance and baptism. And and that was going to be parallel to what Christ taught his disciples to do uh, a little bit later on. Jesus even may have begun this process by, as it were, baptizing people. And so we have, a, we have this whole process taking place. Well, we have a caller, Gary. I think Ken's on the line. Okay. So let's, t- let's take this call. Ken, are you there? Yeah, Mike. How you guys doing? Doing well. How are you? Good. Can you hear me okay? Pretty good. You're still a little hollow, but I can hear you. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I wanted to uh, make a comment on why Jesus... Hold it. Hold it. it we got, the, we got our usual feedback. We got the feedback going again. What was that? You want to do what? Make a comment on why Jesus wanted John to baptize him. Okay. Insisted upon it. Okay, in Jewish wedding customs, both the bridegroom and the bride have to go through a mikvah or a baptism. Okay, they both do. 
Okay. Yes. So, you know, John, John complained. He said, you, I, you should be baptizing me. And he said, no, I, I got to do this. So he was following. Because he was the bridegroom, you're saying. You're saying Jesus went and did this because he was following a Jewish marriage custom of the bridegroom being yeah. uh, mitzvah so, or immersed. Yeah, guys, we're following marriage Jewish customs, too. Okay. All right, well, that's a point I've never heard before. It sounds interesting. It sounds like a good point. He doesn't say that here, but maybe the people standing there might have understood that at some point, or eventually they understood uh, why he was doing that. Yeah. Are anyway, you, uh, give you that information. Okay, I appreciate it. You, any more, you want to add any more to it? No, no, I'll, I'll see you later. Okay, thanks, Ken. We appreciate it. Call, call back anytime. We really appreciate you calling in with that. I, I had not thought about that. That makes that makes some sense. And I think Ken has said on the phone before that uh, we because we don't know a lot about Jewish marriage customs, we, we miss some things. Yes. And that's true because in, in our Western culture, in our modern weddings, the bride is the center of everything. But in a Jewish wedding in Bible times, the groom was the center of everything, which more fits the case of Christ being the, the, the bridegroom and the church being the bride that figure of the New Testament about the church and Christ and Ephesians 5, the book of Revelation, you see this, these figures. So uh, this is one where they would go through. Now, the Old Testament, see, here's the difficulty I have sometimes with this because we're seeing, we got another caller, but hang on, let me finish this, this point. We see some of these customs that had developed by the time of Christ are not recorded in the Old Testament, and they certainly weren't a part of the law. A bride and bridegroom, there's hardly anything in the Bible about how the Jews got, could get married, but they had developed elaborate customs around this based on Old Testament teaching to some degree, but, but like even, mitzvahs and washings. Right, but even the Old Testament prophets mentioned the bridegroom coming in, in references to Jesus in, in a lot of cases and mentioned both the bride and the bridegroom coming out or coming. Right, and, and but those, it's, it wasn't really explicit as how this was going to be. It it didn't, he didn't tell them what to do about that. Right, he just said it was going to happen. happen. All right, we have another call. John, are you there? Hey, I'm here. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to... I got that echo thing going on here. But I wanted to mention that when the Romans had came in in uh, 67 B.C., Obviously, uh, there's a lot of resentment with the Jews. And I think what Jesus and John the Baptist were warning against, that that uh, God was going to come and destroy the Romans and all the Jews working with the Romans. And that's what you were being saved from, that destruction. So well, I'll take you off here. Okay. Well, I, I, I don't know if you... I think he said he was going to hang up, but... Um, I, you know, when you say that the axes lay at the root of the trees and um, so forth, I, I, I don't I have never taken that from the idea that he was going to destroy the Roman Empire. Now, you have to separate out a couple things about this. It's probably true that the Jews pictured the Messiah who was coming as one who would be a civil ruler to drive out the Romans and give them the land back, as it were. 
and drive out the Gentiles from their land. Well, I have no the doubt people that. may have been expecting that. I think that's what they were expecting. But that doesn't mean that Jesus was going to do that. And it doesn't mean that when Jesus talked about his kingdom coming, that Jesus was promising that. Because if he does say at the end, my kingdom is not of this world. And nothing he taught about, when Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven and his kingdom all through his ministry, none of the things he said about that kingdom coming had, had anything to do with po- a political movement or overthrow. Well, the even, people may have tried to interpret it that way, but that doesn't mean that's what he was trying to do. Well, even if they had looked closely at the Old Testament prophets, such as Isaiah and Zechariah, you see prophecies concerning the kingdom that make it almost impossible for it to be a physical kingdom. Right. Well, you take Jesus saying, uh, destroy this temple and I'll raise it back up. They took that to mean that he was literally going to destroy the temple and then rebuild that temple. In three days. In three days. But that's, he, wasn't, he didn't mean that at all. They didn't understand what he meant at the time, but that's not what he meant. It was a sp- spiritual destruction, as it were, of his body, or a, it was a destruction of his body being the temple. Now, we can go into all that, but, but I do, uh, people probably were expecting this physical uh, king to come. Maybe they interpreted that way, and that could be why the Pharisees and the Jews resisted Christ so much, and they tried to compare him to Caesar, that if you're a friend of Christ, you can't be a friend of Caesar. And that finally got Pilate to, you know, say, crucify him. But they were playing off what people may have thought. Jesus had stood right there in front of Pilate and said, I'm not king, yes, but I'm not of of this world. I'm I'm not in competition with you as you may think, per se. And so um, I don't know if I got all of John's point, but I, I think he must have texted earlier. John the Baptist was warning that the Messiah was coming to overthrow the Romans and the Jews running the temple and destroy them. John and Jesus was warning, you better get on the right side or else. And, and that, that may, they were warning, for sure warning, get on the right side to those Jews who were dependent on the Romans and thought they could make their life better by by giving in to the Romans in, in some tra- traitorous way, by not keeping the law, they were wrong. To the, the Jews that thought their salvation was going to come when, the, when they could kill all the Romans, they were wrong. That's not what salvation is about in Jesus' teaching. But there was a lot of, a lot of uh, misunderstandings about Jesus' whole work. And the truth is, Gary, this misunderstanding about Jesus and the kingdom of God is going on in a major, major way, way in today, Protestant denominations yes. today for the last 150 years. This this uh, dispensational premillennialism that we have today in many Protestant churches uh, is a fairly new movement, begun about 100 or so years ago, maybe a little more than 100 years ago, in the late 1800s, and it, it's just kind of taken over so many different denominations. But it. It's based on the same misconception that the kingdom of God is one that has to be in Jerusalem on this earth for it to be God's kingdom. But Christ said he was going to build his kingdom as a spiritual kingdom. And that's what that's why the book of Hebrews says we've received the kingdom in chapter 12. We've already received it. And and, uh, we've been Paul Paul says in Colossians in chapter two, we've been translated from the into the kingdom of his dear son. Already past events, when you become a Christian, it's a different kind of kingdom. And, so, o- and only those who are Christians are translated into the kingdom. I keep coming back to Zechariah, the last two verses in Zechariah. 
he says, basically, everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook them in them, talking about the pots, all everything all dedicated to God. In that day, there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord. There is no way in a physical kingdom to keep someone out that's not part of it. Right. But you can, a spiritual kingdom. But you can, a spiritual they, kingdom. They don't get in the first place. Because God is the only one that adds to that kingdom. Right. God adds to it. That's That's where it is. And so, uh, when, and so it says that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved in Acts chapter 2, exactly. verse 47. So don't tell me that the church wasn't mentioned in the Old Testament. Now, now when you, what, right. Exactly. Now, when you, you look at the Old Testament prophets and you look at Elijah, and there's, and then the Old Testament ends with he was dealing and fighting against Ahab and Jezebel and so forth. And then you see the prophecy of Malachi at the very end of the Old Testament about the Elijah is going to come again. I can see how people living in the time of Christ, when John the Baptist came along, they see this figure in the Old Testament, like Elijah, kind of separated, uh, having, having a very bold message of separatism. They thought, well, this is the beginning. This is the Elijah that's to come. And so he's going to drive out these enemies of ours. That was their pressing need. But John, the, when they got out there, John the Baptist just told them to do what was right. Stop collecting more taxes than you should. Be content with your wages. Don't extort people. Don't threaten people. He's telling them to do the things that are right according to the Old Testament law, not to get some arms ready and so we can overthrow these Romans. Because he said the Messiah is coming who's going to preach, teach you repentance and true submission to God. And so Jesus came along. They thought the same thing about him. He was opposing the, when he opposed the Pharisees and scribes. This is what they weren't, the Pharisees and scribes weren't expecting that. They would have thought that the Messiah was going to be on their side against the Romans, as it were. But yet, Jesus didn't attack the Romans. No. He basically left them alone. As a matter of fact, he used the Romans to do <laughs> in the, what? In the, in the end, he did. But he wasn't uh, attacking the Romans. They weren't the problem, the scribes and Pharisees. The scribes and Pharisees were the ones keeping people from the kingdom from the true kingdom. Yes. They were hindering the way into the true kingdom by their hypocrisy and their reliance on tradition. And so it wasn't the Romans who were doing this. Plus, he said the gospel and the kingdom had to be had to come to the Jews first and then to the Greeks, which we see carried out a little bit later. So that's an interesting call. I appreciate these calls we got today and the and the text. We've got about five five or six minutes left here. Well, I just want to make up. one more Go comment ahead. about Zechariah chapter 14, because basically when you look at that, you see first off, right in the first few verses, there's a destruction of the of the city of Jerusalem, a physical destruction. And then as you go back down further through it, what happens? It gets rebuilt in a perfect manner, right? which is what the kingdom right. actually was. There are two Jerusalems in the Old Testament, the physical Jerusalem, which is pictured as corrupt, and will be destroyed, and a perfect Jerusalem, which is the kingdom to come. Well, we've got about five minutes left, so we've got time for you to call in. Let me give you the numbers again. I meant to do it earlier. I'm sorry about that. 772 uh, 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590. You can reach us by phone. We will have a we can have a short conversation today, or you can text us, 772-260-6120 or 260-6220 are the text numbers for Gary and I here on uh, We Are Just, or Gary and me, here on We Are Just Christians. You can also email us at justchristians 
at att.net. Just Christians at att.net. We'd love to receive your email. They can be a little longer sometimes and more detailed. We appreciate that, and we'll try to get to those on the air or respond to you privately. Just Christians at att.net. But by the way, the questions that we are answering here and the questions are, the answers are how you recognize the church. Well, they, you, they certainly fit, fit that, don't they? Yes. Yeah. Um, basically, the like I said earlier, the first one that I would ask if I were going somewhere that I had no idea what they teach was I would ask, what must I do to be saved? Right. And if they tell me, pray the sinner's prayer, then I know I'm in the wrong place. You haven't got the right place. So... Basically, if they tell me that I, first I need to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and that I need to confess his name before men and that I need to repent of the sins in my life and be baptized, well, okay, now I can start understanding. Right. Well, we got a text from John, not John the Baptist, <laughs> but John. It says Jesus and John had an apocalyptic eschatology. Okay, eschatology, using the big words, is studying the end things, things that come at the end, okay, of time. So that generally eschatology is used to refer to what's going to happen at the end of time or at the end. And apocalyptic is a, a genre of literature or way of expressing your views about that, which involves, you know, the, the, the sun not shining and, and the... Uh, Sun turned to moon turned to blood, blood, all those kind of things that we find in the book of Zechariah and the book of Revelation and Matthew 24 are all examples of apocalyptic literature. I would now, it's used today to mean more like yeah. a big uh, uh, destruction at the end of time, overwhelmingly destructive or change events that change things fundamentally, I would say. And I would caution. Uh, not everything that's apocalyptic is about what we would call the end of time or final judgment. I, I, I agree with that, yes. That, that basically a lot of times this apocalyptic language applied to the end of the Jewish system. Well, and I think that's where you find the book of Malachi and so forth and Zechariah. They're referring to the fact that when the Messiah came, preceded by John, he was going to shake things up and change things the way they were. And he was going to usher in the true kingdom of God, which was not necessarily just Israel, but it was the so, true kingdom so of God. So be careful when you're thinking about the end times, just exactly what end times you're thinking. Yes, we're about. living in the end times. I can say that without a doubt, but right. I don't think it I don't think it started in 2008 or 2012 when Trump was elected. I think the end times started when when Christ established his kingdom on the earth uh, through the through his death and crucifixion, resurrection, and the apostles preaching. The end of the That's Jewish the last age. This is the last age we're living right. in. But the end of the Jewish system had to come before that. Right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna we've got about a minute left, Gary, or so, a minute and a half. So, I, and we can pursue that issue a lot differently. We're gonna tackle some other questions next week. But let me tell you about a couple ways you can get this program if you can't listen to it live. You can tell your friends about that. First of all, you can go to to wpsl.com, hit the listen live button, and it'll take you to this show at nine o'clock Eastern time. Uh, you can find the show. You can go to your Tune in radio app on your phone, uh, your your Alexa devices on your phone or in your house, Google Chrome. Uh, ask for WPSL 1590, and it'll take you there while the show's on the air at 9 o'clock Eastern Time. We have a podcast recording uh, and recordings of these shows 
at our at our website, wearejustchristians.com. You can even search on iTunes for this. Wearejustchristians.com. There are recordings of all these. It'll take me a few days to get this recording up on there, for example, but you'll find them at wearejustchristians.com. So in any event, uh, that's how you reach us. Come and be with us this morning, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. We'd love to have you 10, 11, and 730 on Wednesday night. Hope you'll tune in again next week. May God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians on WPSL Port St. Lucie.